The following Downstage Center program was originally broadcast in August 2006. Welcome to Downstage Center, a presentation of XM Satellite Radio and the American Theatre Wing. I'm John von Susten, Program Director of XM28 on Broadway. And I'm Howard Sherman, Executive Director of the American Theatre Wing. Today we welcome Hinton Battle, a three-time Tony winner for Miss Saigon, the Tap Dance Kids, Sophisticated Ladies, also the winner of the NAACP Image Award and the Fred Astaire Award for Tap Dance Kid. Yeah. And uh, the uh, the namesake of Hinton Battle Theatre Laboratory, we'll get to that in a little bit, yeah. but two new uh, projects for you. One is a show coming to New York this fall, and a movie which opens on Monday, yeah, the twenty first um, of August. Idlewild, which is a I'm excited because it's a big musical, and I got to hire over a hundred dancers, and uh, it's like Broadway coming to the movies, which I love, <laughs> you know. Well, and, 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 and which you choreographed. Yes, I choreographed it. Yeah. And it's the music of Outcast. Outcast. It's a, it's a mix between nineteen forties and today. It's hip hop and swing. So I created a dance called Swap. That's an interesting combination. Yeah, it's, it works. So <laughs> believe it or not, it works because basically their history and their origin are of the same and how they sort of came to be, or, you know, is a release for people, the, the whole creative uh, swing and, you know, and hip hop, you know, for people to release their aggressions and get out their fears and things. So they work. It actually does work. Well, how did that project come about? How did How did you get approached to be the choreographer of this, you know, very I, hip film. I know it's like hitting hip. No. Pun, pun definitely. <laughs> no, but, you know that they didn't take somebody you know who just does film choreography, right. but that they went to somebody with the, with stage experience. Well, Brian Barber, who wrote it and directed it, as a video director, and he really wanted to think outside of the box with it, and he really wanted to not see the same sort of hip hop thing you see all the time. Uh, so he he looked in other avenues, and uh, I met with him, and I had a great meeting with him about the project, and. I love it. He says, well, can you do it or not? I said, well, yeah, I can do it, you know. And he let me have full creative control in terms of, you know, what that dance would actually be. So it was exciting to be able to have the opportunity to create something and not sort of duplicate something that was, you know, I could get dancers and really experience, experiment and uh, actually create, which is the best part of theater is creating it, you know. Well, you comment about the best part of theater. One of the things that's often spoken about now when we see musical numbers on film is that the editing takes oh. away from the completeness <laughs> yes. of the numbers. And I'm wondering yes. what your experience has been with this project. I find it a little annoying. Yes, I do. And I have vowed to become a director, so I'm going to start directing my own stuff as well. Uh, because, you you know, you see it a certain way as you choreograph it. And, and sometimes, you know, the edit choices are very good, but a lot of sometimes they're, they, the other choice is a better choice. So it's... Uh, I come from theater, so I like seeing the com the, the completion of a number, uh, how it builds, how it starts, how it finishes, how it peaks, as opposed to a lot of stuff that is very uh, hypercut. And in some cases it works, but not in all cases. So I, I like a blend of it. So um, I'm st starting to direct and choreograph uh, so I can address that issue. So when I'm in the editing room, I have a little bit more control. Now, were you, in fact, in the editing room during Idlewild? Some of it, not a lot of it. Yeah. It must be interesting choreographing for the stage where you have a proscenium in most theaters right. and you have a, literally a fourth wall with the audience right. out there. And film, there is no fourth wall. The There's camera no can be wall. anywhere you want. Right. How do you then adjust for film? 
I, you're able to let your imagination go. A lot of things that you can't do uh, with theater and dance, you can do with film and dance. Uh, a lot of angles you can't necessarily get or you want to focus something or bring the dire- direction of the eye to a particular area, you can't do with theater as well because you have a broader range to work with. So I do like that in film, that you can sort of... Uh, uh, direct, if you will, uh, the focus of where you want the energy to go in a particular sequence of a, a step. And Bob Fosse was brilliant at doing that with film. Well, speaking of directing the focus, how about directing the camera? You're working with the director of the film, the director of cinematography, the, right. the photographer, and yourself. Right. Do you guys then sit around and say, we should have a close-up of the feet here, or that kind of yes, stuff? Yes, we do. And uh, and on Idlewild, in fact, there was one scene, which is a big bow tie number, which is the big number, which is the swap happens. And I'm actually, you can't see me, thank God, but I'm actually on the floor while they're dancing with the steady guy, uh, the steady guy, guy uh, cameraman. The guy working the camera. Yeah, running him around to get make sure he gets the shots. So I'm actually <laughs> <laughs> pulling him forward, pulling him back, duck, you know, run to the right. You know, we're actually on the floor with while this dance is going on. So, I mean, it's very exciting, and it's in that way you, you can really focus uh, what people are looking at, which is cool. But then when the film comes back from the drugstore, it's all developed and it's being shown on the screen, yeah. you see your own work. Do you say to yourself, that's not what I had in mind? Because it, it, it changes, yeah, obviously. it does from change. And, and sometimes it is like, I, I didn't think of that, and I think that's great, and sometimes I didn't think of that, and I think that sucks. So, I mean, you get, you get both sides on it. So it's, uh, you know, it can work both ways. But uh, the more involved I get with it, and the more I learn about it, uh, I, it's, you learn more. I mean, the, I think the best stuff that is shot action is uh, sports because they really know how to shoot sports. You know, they they know it's it's the same as dance, but with sports, you're looking for the full impact of what they're doing with the jump or the catch or the leap. So they shoot it. They shoot it very well. Except there, they are following the action. Here, you are creating the action. Right. So you have a little bit of a different a relationship. Yeah. 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 From choreographing the film and saying you'd like to direct more to control what people see, you are also about to embark on surely one of the most unusual <laughs> shows coming up this season, dire- co-directing and yes. choreographing Evil Dead the Musical. A bloody mess. How did this come about? <laughs> I guess we should first, can you tell people what Evil Dead is from? It is a film it's adaptation. A film, actually, it's a film ad- adaptation. We're doing Evil Dead 1 and 2. Um, uh, that we're putting them together. It's a fun, bloody, <laughs> comedic, musical experience. What can I tell you? I'm really excited. Bill Flansbaugh is the producer on it and uh, Just for Laughs. And uh, they approached me about it and I, I saw the films and I thought it'd be great. And uh, they did it up in Toronto and uh, it was a big hit there. And now we're redoing it and Americanizing it somewhat and bringing it here to New York. And uh, We'll be at the New World Theaters, which was the Dodger stages. Um, and, uh, God, we go into rehearsal the day after the uh, the, the world premiere of the Idlewild is on the 21st, and I go into rehearsals on the 22nd. Well, for, for the, I was going to say for the uninitiated, let's just talk about Evil Dead, the films. Was, Sam Raimi created these Sam in the 1980s. Raimi, yeah. They became cult horror films. Oh, big, big time cult. I mean, I mentioned Evil Dead to anyone, and it, people are, oh, really? I can't wait to see it. So we're selling tickets already for Evil Dead, and it's not even gone into rehearsal yet, which is, we like that, you know, we really like that. How do you think about choreographing, I mean, is it zombies? I can't even (laughs) remember, but you're you're definitely dealing with people possessed by spirits, at least. they're possessed, and there's 
blood. It's fun. You know, it's fun. I love to be, you know, find movement that can have a sense of humor about the zombiness of it, you know. And um, so it's cool. I mean, I think it's going to be a lot of fun. And uh, I, we've got a lot of exciting things that are not necessarily seen in theater that we're doing with this um, because we want the show to be more of like an experience. Um, more like, you know, when you go to an amusement park and you get on a roller coaster ride and you go up and you go down and, you know, so it's more of an experience. The whole, from walking into the theater to how everything you, in, if you're in the splash zone where you get bloodied up or <laughs> to... Can you charge uh, more your, or less to be close to the stage I on this show? <laughs> <laughs> right. I'll leave that up to William. I'll let him do that. Well, this is a, a musical about a bunch of guys who go to an abandoned cabin in the woods. Yes. And uh, to use the word camp, I guess, would be fair. When you look at song titles like... All the men in my life keep keep getting killed by Kandarian demons. demons yes. What is a Kandarian demon? Kandarian demons are the demons that are possessed, the, the people that become possessed uh-huh. uh, from this book that is read from the scripture. The, the and, uh, campers become possessed. Yes, they yep. do. Yeah, and they start killing each other, and they... <laughs> and John mentioned his name. I mean, what's interesting about these films is they are cults. Sam Raimi, who now yeah. is, is best known as, as the director of the Spider-Man films, yes. these were extremely low-budget films that mm-hmm. he made at the beginning of his career, which did develop a cult following. It's interesting. You say you're putting together the first two films. It's actually, there's a trilogy. There's a trilogy, right. Um, the first film, which was fairly serious trying to scare people right. and gross them out horror. The second film, which took much more of a sense of humor to it. Right. Um, and Bruce some Campbell, people have even right. said it's essentially a remake of the, of first, the first film with more money. as a comedy yeah. with more money. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so so the, the tone here is going gonna, is gonna to try to be everything from, you know, John says camp, but you say roller coaster, so people might get scared. People, yeah. all of that's going to be there? They'll be laughing and scaring at the same time. I mean, I, I don't want to give away all the stuff that we're doing, but I'm like, it's, it's, radio, it it's radio. There's only so much we can do. <laughs> right, right. Well, look, looking at the at the at the press release, it says buzzing chainsaws and dancing demons add to the frenzy, slaying audiences with a tale of lust, love, and dismemberment. I Sounds like a typical that. song and dance comedy. Yeah, well, my one and only. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. There you go. But it certainly makes the the hip hop uh, film musical the tame uh, <laughs> yeah, choreography assignment Absolutely. in your. <laughs> in your current projects, <laughs> absolutely, but it's they're they're very different. But, but that's what's great about it, like, you know, having the opportunity to do things that are so varied. You know, I love that. You know, I choreographed the ballet for the Washington Reflections Company and uh, and working with Philadelphia Dance Company now. So I love being able to do all types of stuff, and it's a challenge. It's a challenge to be able to do it and then do it well and have people appreciate it. At this point, are you still dancing given the opportunity, or have you really transitioned Me? out of it yourself? <laughs> I dance in the room by myself when no one's looking. Mm-hmm. No, I don't I don't really dance anymore. But you think of yourself now really as a choreographer. Yeah, I mean, I really love working with young talent. I mean, I started a school in Harlem on 125th Street where we teach children from 8 to, to 19 and free of charge. Uh, in dance and singing. I mean, I love nurturing talent. I love seeing new talent give opportunities. And uh, I, I want to just quickly, because uh, on the 21st... Uh, which the is world, Monday. Which is Monday, is the world premiere of the Idlewild film. And uh, Universal Pictures and HBO have been gracious enough to give me that film, uh, that world premiere, as a benefit to raise money for the nonprofit so these kids can actually study. 
free of charge. So, I mean, it's it all sort of falls into one. It all sort does full circle, which is well, the, the, really great. The, yeah, that's the Hinton Battle Theater, Theater Laboratory, Laboratory you're talking right. about. What, yeah. what exactly is that? Well, we're a nonprofit organization, 501c3. Our mission is diversity in theater. We want to create opportunities for, and not, it's not just diversity in color, but diversity socially, economically, uh, to give people opportunities to get their work seen and heard and uh, nurture new talents, um, have shows out there, produce shows. We have a reading work series where we have new playwrights from, we had 90 submissions from all over the country come in and we had judges like Mark uh, Mark Ralph and David Garfinkel and William Flansbrough who judged these new playwrights' works. And the winner actually will be announced at the premiere, uh, win $1,000 and the run-up 500 um, internships. We have the school in Harlem that we're really excited about and we have all these kids that are writing all these essays about what it what it means to them to dance and what, what it means to them to sing. And you got to realize a lot of these kids, they they don't have it in their schools. It's just not there. There is no music department. There is no, it's it. So mm-hmm. for the, a lot of these kids and for myself as well, it was another outlet of learning and helped me to find in ways to learn differently. So um, it's it just creates opportunities you know we want to create opportunities and we want to get to the point where we're actually producing shows um, for Broadway off Broadway musicals plays and just uh, being able to reach a diverse uh, America in terms of uh, types of product that we produce and put out there well as you talk about opportunities for young people as someone who made his Broadway debut in a significant featured role at age 19 what no, were the opportunities? 15. 15. <laughs> yeah. There's a typo. So at 15, you're on yeah. Broadway. Yeah. What were the opportunities that led you there? How did you get there? And we should say that was the Wiz playing that the Scarecrow. Yes. Scarecrow and the Wiz. I, you know, I... I, I, you know, you're so young at that point, you just think you know, the world is your oyster, and you don't even realize that they are opportunities. You're just, you know, I was, I was lucky to have been in situations that I got great training from School of American Ballet and Jones and Haywood School of Ballet in Washington on full scholarships. I was one of those blessed kids that just had that opportunity and uh, came to New York when I was 13 to study at School of American Ballet and uh, went to professional children's school and did the whole thing and. And just, I went to the Wiz audition because I needed a summer job mm-hmm. because they paid you $200 a month uh, to go to the school. And $200 a month, even back then, was not a lot to pay your rent and eat. So I needed a summer job. So I auditioned for the Wiz and I got it. And I thought, well, I'll quit the Wiz before it comes back to New York and go back to School of American Ballet and get New York City Ballet. Well, fate had another plan for me, and I ended up being the scarecrow of the Wiz and came came to New York as a scarecrow. And uh, then the opportunity just kept unfolding, and I I loved what I was doing, and I loved working, and did it. So I want to make sure that kids get that opportunity. Well, I guess I kind of changed the direction of your of your your life. You, I guess, oh, had, yeah. had intended to be a ballet dancer. Oh no, <laughs> no, you didn't. You were just studying no. ballet. Oh, okay. <laughs> I, I had a mother that you know just believed in. If an opportunity came, you just didn't walk away from uh, it. Okay. And she firmly shoved me in the door to study ballet. <laughs> <laughs> No, it wasn't my plan to be a ballet dancer. But any, any, uh, what, what, what had you intended to be at age fifteen? I wanted to be an architect, actually. Really, I loved buildings. I loved structures of buildings. I loved the whole studying ballet. Uh, wanted to be an architect. Yeah, very so, interesting. So I ended up being a ballet dancer. So who wanted to draw? I draw buildings on the side, you know? <laughs> and the hallway could look like this, you know. And so, um, 
ballet-trained aspiring architect, 15 years old, <laughs> starring in a hit Broadway musical. What was the experience of being that age in a show that, you know, was, was such a smash? You know, I, I, I'll be honest with you. I was so young that I don't think I really realized the magnitude of what The Wiz brought for a lot of people and what it did to the Broadway community at the time that it came along. And just what, uh, uh, if you will, a change of pace for the types of uh, African-American musicals that were being brought to Broadway. Um, I remember that it was a lot of, uh, you know, the fact that The Wizard of Oz was being turned and changed. It was, a, you know, it was, a, it was a big commotion about that. It sounds surprising in the, in the and, era and, of Wicked right. to hear somebody it's, say that. You know, but. so, you, you know, so as a young child in it, it was... You know, and I say young child because you're young. You don't really quite know uh, the weight and of what is actually really going on around you. You just enjoy what you're doing and you're having a great time. And yes, oh, I'm in the whiz. But you know, years from now, when you hear what the whiz did and was for a lot of people, uh, it uh, you realize the weight of it, and it's pretty phenomenal. But well, at, at a young age, you don't really get it. Well, in The Wiz, you didn't have to just dance. You also had to sing and act. Yeah. Had you taken any singing lessons, acting lessons at that point? No, but I dug it. <laughs> <laughs> and you know, did you just pick it up? Or did I you just start... picked it up. I mean, I just, you know, I was I was very talented. I mean, not, I know, not to sound like I'm patting myself on the back, but I've been able to adapt very well to situations and uh, and uh, challenge myself. And I love, I love, I love challenges. I mean, if you give me a challenge, I... I'm ready for it. I just love them. And this was a challenge to have to sing and to have to act and have to work on it. And uh, Clarice Taylor, who was one of the good witches, used to tutor me on my acting on the show. But I, I loved the challenge. I mean, petrified, yeah, but I would still go for it. It's like being thrown in the ocean and going, okay, now learn how to swim. Petrified, but I'd learn how to swim, you know. <laughs> well, so. talking about singing, this is a, a musical theater radio station that we run here, so I'd like to play an example of your singing from The Wiz. Do you want to uh, pick one of the songs that you, the Scarecrow, performed? I was born on the day before yesterday. Now, how does that work in the show? How did that work? That was my entrance song. That was my entrance uh, when I would meet Dorothy after I jumped down off the pole and done a hundred splits and a couple of splits and turns and then I'd stop and say what's your name and then she'd say ask me basically what my story was and I would sing her this song how I was born on the day before yesterday Hinton Battle as the Scarecrow along with all the crows and I was born on the day before yesterday first time you walked out onto a Broadway stage and performed in front of audience how did that feel other than being petrified I loved it. Yeah. I loved the smell of it. Just, I remember uh, my most vivid the uh, experience was once we were in New York at the Majestic Theater, and it was actually in between shows, and I would, whenever the theater was empty, I'd go out and just stand on stage and look out into the audience and practice and practice and practice. And um, there was a man standing that I didn't see, sort of in the wings, peering at, looking at me, and he finally came out, and I was like, oh, you know, I thought I was here alone, and he walks over to me, and he introduced himself, and he said, you're going to do very well in this business, and he walked away, 
And then someone came over and said, do you know who that was? I said, no, there's, that was Jerry Schoenfeld. And I was like. Who <laughs> <laughs> we should say oh, is okay. now the chairman of the Schubert organization <laughs> for those who don't know Mr. Schoenfeld. So yeah. that, that was my most. It's a good endorsement. Yeah, and I, and, and I just loved it. I mean, I, um, it's, it's one of the hardest to do. It's harder than films. It's harder than television. It's, uh, you know, it's very disciplined. It's, uh, you've got to be focused. Uh, you can't party and drink all night and come in and perform. You've got to be on your 120%, you know. But I loved it. Absolutely. Now, after The Wiz, you joined the company of Danson in partway through its run. Right. Did You talk about discipline. Did you have the opportunity at all to, to work with Mr. Fossey? Oh, yeah. Loved him. He was great. He just had that cigarette hanging off his mouth, out of his mouth and... He'd sort of nod yes or nod no. <laughs> You'd know whether you were doing a good job or not. No, um, when I went, I first started off in the road company of dancing, and uh, I had great chance to work with Gwen Verdon and Bob Fossey at the same time because they were both working on that production. And um reminds me of Gwen Verdon, who was, I think, one of the most giving performers and persons that I've known Um because I was in dancing for about a year and a half and then came into New York with it. And there was a new show coming along called Sophisticated Ladies. And uh, I told Gwen Verdon about it, just naive. I mean, I'm going to go to Gwen until I want to leave your show to go to another show. <laughs> and I said I was nervous because I had to tap and I didn't know how to tap. And she said, don't worry about it. I'll teach you a tap combination. So she actually taught me my audition really? for Sophisticated Ladies. And I actually got it. I couldn't tap. <laughs> couldn't tap a lick. But we did a soft shoe. She said, you'll do a soft shoe, and she choreographed it, and and it groomed me through the whole thing, and, uh, and I got it. And you were how old at this time? Oh, I was probably by now in my 20s. Uh-huh. Yeah. yeah. And any good uh, Bob Fosse uh, stories? Working with him over and over again. Do it again. Do it again. Do it, do it again. Practice makes perfect. Do it again. Do it again. Yeah, there's a lot of do it again. And then what? What kind of direction would he give you other than do it again? He would was he give very you specific instructions. Very precise about everything. I mean, from your fingernail to how everything. I mean, we would practice one thing over and over. I mean, like all day or half a day, we could do one thing just with the hand until it is absolutely perfect. He was very meticulous. What I loved about him is that. He never raised his voice, and he got you. He got the best out of you, always. You wanted to please him. You wanted to do the best you could when you worked with him because you loved his work. And then he was just such a pleasant man to work for. So it was, you know, you just wanted to do your best. You know. Well, in passing, you mentioned sophisticated ladies. The first of the three shows for which you won a Tony as best featured actor, and you took tap dance lessons from Gwen Verdon, yes. and you got the job. Yes. Tell us about your experience then with Sophisticated Ladies. Well, once I got the job and realized Gregory Hines was starring in it and there were going to be a lot of tapping, I realized if I wanted to do anything in this, I'd better learn how to tap. Because you're going to be up there with some of the best. Right. Oh, God. Some of the, the best. I mean, so I would study with Henry Letang in the day and then go do dancing at night every day until my tap got better. So when I started rehearsal for Sophisticated Ladies, at least I could do at least an eight count tap <laughs> taps and then um did all the did sophisticated ladies and um won a Tony and was just really quite shocked uh, to have uh, been nominated and then and this sounds sort of corny and over humble but it's true I was really 
I really didn't expect it. Uh, I remember when we were doing the show and thinking, oh, you know, I've got my role's okay. It's not a, you know, I have one or two numbers here and there. But I didn't think, I honestly didn't think people would notice me uh, because it was just not that big of a role compared to the other roles that were in the in the show. Uh, so I was really uh, taken back to, in, you know, got the nomination and thought, oh, maybe they made a mistake, you know, mm-hmm. you know, maybe, and then and then I won. I was like, oh, they didn't make a mistake. They, <laughs> <laughs> they, they, they obviously saw something in you yeah, up there on stage more than I saw in me. I tell you that much. <laughs> yeah. And what did, what, did, what do you think, Fosse and, and Verdon thought of that? Oh, they were really very proud. Yeah. Really. Now you turned down another Fosse show. Oh, the last one, I know, and I I had just finished Tap Dance Kid, and Tap Dance Kid was a really uh, very hard show, I mean, physically and mentally, because it was heavy acting, and I had a 10-minute tap number in Tap Dance Kid, and uh, Bob Fossey called me and wanted me to do um, Big Deal, and I was just so tired and exhausted, I, I told him no, because I just didn't think... I would be able to give him what he needed, and I I regret it that to this day because it was his last show he did, and uh, I wish I had just slugged my way through it, you know. Um, but you know, it, it wasn't to be, and um, uh, I miss him. I miss working with that talent. Coming back to Tap Dance Kid, you you commented that it was a tough experience, and I've read a couple of interviews where you've said that as well on so many levels, the performing level, even just the experience of the show and some of the issues surrounding keeping it alive. Yeah. Can, can you talk a little about, about that? Without incriminating anyone? No. <laughs> <laughs> well, it was, it was, a, it was a, I love the show. Um, uh, Charlie Blackwell, who... Uh, has been a big part of my life. Uh, who's now uh, deceased? Um, when I was in the Wiz, um, was the stage manager of the Wiz, and was the one that came to me during intermission and saying, "We want you to go on for the second act as a scarecrow." And then years later, I end up working with the tap dance kid, and he's actual writing the book uh, for the for the musical. Was it was a great story, and Charlie did a wonderful job. But we had problems from the beginning with the, the original director that was chosen for the project. Um, and I don't want to get into names, but um, I think his views on African American people was were uh, not quite, uh, should I say, focused or uh, not true to a middle class and that era, 1980s African-American family, what they are like, um, and just didn't have the experience and knowledge to know how to present that on stage and what were the important things and what were not the important things and what what things meant uh, to African-Americans in that time uh, that were important and socially and economically. And um, I think because his... Uh, <laughs> I'm trying to be really nice. <laughs> I think his experiences were with uh, uh, people from the islands, which is a very different, <laughs> different culture, different food, different thinking, different background, different heritage. You know, uh, didn't quite do the research that was needed to to, to do this show. And I assume that he himself was not African American. No, 
obviously. No, it was not African-American, which is okay, but you, you got to know what you're doing. You got to know the material, yeah, basically. So yeah, so you, you can't say, you know, uh, certain things that just are not... Uh, this is hard to talk through without <laughs> getting into it. So anyway, we had problems with that. So uh-huh, uh-huh. so we had to bring in uh, a new director and trying to find out who that new director was. Uh, when we were already in production, it was very difficult. And we finally ended up with Jerry Zaks, who did a great job with the show. Uh, he really pulled the show together. Hmm. Um, and, uh, you know, Danny Daniels was, uh, was a very demanding choreographer. One of the most demanding choreographers I've ever worked with, um, and that tends to take a toll on you um, when you're working with someone like that, and it can get uh, just very hard. So it was not an overall pleasant experience, even, no, though, even it, though you it, won a Tony. It still yeah, was it was a tough, very, it was very rough. It was one. rough, and then there was financial issues with you know. Uh, move, we moved theaters in the midst of it. You and know, then you, you had suggested taking a pay cut at one point? Yeah, we, yeah. To, oh, yeah. To, to, to keep the show going. We were going to close, and I was kind of like, great, thank you. And then my friend called and said, look, I just had a child. You can't let the show close. You've got to find something. I said, I can't do anything. I'm, a, I'm an actor. I'm not producing it. Think of something. Slam. And she slammed up the phone. And I'm sitting in the bed going, oh, God, okay. So I, I thought of, you know, everyone taking pay cuts. So I called up and said, um, I have an idea, you know, maybe we can keep it running for a little longer if we all take pay cuts. Um, I'm willing to do it. Um, I'm sure the other actors will be, you know, um, and it's really the creative team that really has to go on that. And that was, you know. And they, everyone agreed to do it, so we, we sacrificed to... Which is remarkable. Yeah, which, you know, I don't know if anyone's ever done that. But I believed in the show, and I thought, you know, the worst could happen is they could say no. Well, the worst could happen is they could close, you'd be out of work. Right. So you we had nothing to lose by taking right. a pay cut. At least right. you still had a job. So we still had a job, and we weren't making as much, but we were still working, and it built up, and it went on to create, what, three major stars out of it. Savion Glover, um... Uh, Dule Hill, who's now was on the West Wing and now has a new TV show, and um, uh, Alfonso Ribeiro, who's the first to have dance kid, and uh, you know, there's talk of uh, doing something else with it, right? <laughs> which I can't go into right hmm. now. Well, we've accounted for two out of your three Tony Award-winning shows, Sophisticated Ladies, Tap Dance Kid. Your third one, Miss Saigon, yes. in the early '90s, yes. Tony for playing the role of John. And yeah. how did how did you get into that show? It's funny because I didn't want to do that show. They called me about Miss Saigon, this musical that they were bringing from London, and it was a big hit in London. Oh, a huge hit! You know, and certainly Les Mis was. You know, we knew that this was going to be a major show. The London import coming in with a lot of money and (laughs) Mm -hmm. big overhead, and it was going to kill America, and it was going to do great. And oh, that's nice. I want to do TV. So I'm out in Hollywood doing, you know, televisions and sitcoms, and they kept calling, and I kept going no, and they kept calling. My agent said, well, why don't you just go, get it over with it, and, and then leave you alone. So I think I, they flew me to New York. Um, for the, no, okay. no, they came to L.A. They came out to L.A., and I was terrible. I was so bad because I didn't want it, so I didn't learn the song. I, didn't, I, just, I went in and said, hi, how are you doing? And they said, you want to sing? I said, sure. So you know, I'm doing it, and I'm like not really singing it because I didn't really know the song. So and Song I, from the show. Yeah, from uh-huh. the Bredois song. And I uh-huh. thought, oh, good. That's okay. Great. That's over with. So I go home. 
And I get a call. They want to see me again. I was like, well, I sucked. I was horrible. You know, why do they want to see me? So they flew me to New York to to see Cameron. And they, this is the last audition. I'm thinking, Cameron McIntosh. Cameron McIntosh. And I, okay. So I figured, well, okay. Okay. Mother's thoughts kick in. Okay. The opportunity is here. You should leave. So. So I learned the song. I practiced the song. And I go and uh, we were at the theater. I can't remember which theater it was. And um, they were out there. And I thought, okay, well, well I'm just going to go for it. Beautiful song. So I sing the song and finish the song. And then there's dead silence. That's why I'm standing on the stage. And, I, and this time I'd really kind of gone for it. And nothing, not a sound, not a nothing. I'm like, oh, crap. Let me get out of here. How quickly can I back out? You know, you're in this huge mammoth theater and it's dark out there. You see maybe three little heads. And finally I hear this voice, do you want this job or not? It was Cameron McIntosh. <laughs> and I said, okay, sure, yeah. So that's kind of how it happened. And then I, you know, it was it was fun because it was something that I wasn't known for being a singer, you know. You know, I was usually the dancer that act or the dancer that sang, but never. This was a singer's show. You know, everybody knew it was about it was about the singers. I was like, okay, cool. That's you know, once again, and it knocked, and I went for it, and uh, it turned out okay. So, well, not only did it turn out okay, you got the Tony for playing the role, and the song opened the second act of the show. We die. Yeah. Why don't we play that so people can hear how you really? Developed, you actually were able to sing it on Broadway. Yeah, and how how did the show work? How did the song rather work in the show? The song, uh, my character John was. Uh, well, the show is about uh, Vietnam and a lot of the American soldiers that went over during Vietnam, and they had relationships and fell in love with these Vietnamese women. And when uh, they left, they left them. You know, so a lot of these women were left over there. And at that time, it was not very popular. Uh, for Vietnamese women to have an American child or to have even been with one or even to have been a hooker or anything, any, you know, it was just... So a lot of these kids were literally, when they would be born or would be, they would put them in a box and sit them on the street. Mm. So they would just, they would throw these children away. And so it's, it, it was me pleading my character, getting the soldiers that had these women and these children there and reconnecting them. And the songs about uh, pleading their case and uh, raising money for the foundation that would uh, help bring these families back together. And um, one of the performances when we did Miss Saigon, some of those kids, because in the movie there's a huge screen where they show a lot of the kids. I mean, it's actual footage. And some of those kids actually came to the show that are in those boxes at one of the shows in New York. And it was pretty powerful performance, a pretty powerful evening to actually meet them and and it was pretty powerful for them to actually know that um, that was them in, the, in those boxes left on the street uh, so the, the song is called Bridoy and it's, I'm getting too emotional about it now already still it always brings all that up because it's um, it's too much of that is in the world and we just really need to do something about it so the song is called Bridoy very emotional song, very emotional moment for you up on stage, certainly knowing that all those children are in the audience. Yeah. Yeah. Did you have the experience in a show like Saigon where clearly we were still, you know, not even 20 years out of Vietnam of people who had been through that, either soldiers, people who'd lived in Vietnam at the time coming to see the show? Because certainly, you know, there was there's a, a reality and a depth yeah. 
to the issues of that show. That we had people. lots of soldiers, lots of soldiers that would come and then come backstage and tell their story of what it was like for them. And some of them that had not reconnected and knew they had kids there. And some of them that had no way of uh, finding them. Mm-hmm. Um, and some that had reunited. But uh, a lot of guilt with that. A lot of guys that would just cry because it just uh, it was just so touching. You know, and all the things that were going on with the war, with the fighting and the killing and the dying. And then... Uh, so it really touched a lot of people in a lot of ways when they would come and see that show, especially the men and the women that were there, were there, that could look at that scene where we're getting on the helicopters to leave and were actually there and lived it and said how real and how this the show brought that back to them. Now, you were quite young during the... the the real intense part yeah. of the Vietnam era. I How just did, missed the draft. I just <laughs> missed it. I was like, <laughs> <laughs> Well, I was going to ask how you, how you related to the show then. This is some years later. Obviously, you're an adult now. but uh, I related to it because I used to, you know, you, you, it was all over the TV. There was mm-hmm. demonstrations and protests and, you know, people burning uh, the, the cards and, uh, you know, painting their toenails to go to Canada. You know, it was... I'm gay. I'm, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm leaving the world. You know, so I was trying to find out at that time. I remember figuring <laughs> which route I was going to take if I was <laughs> going to paint my toenails or, or uh, you know, how I was going to not. I just don't believe in killing people. I just really have a problem with it. So I just don't think I have what it takes to actually physically hurt another being. I just. It's just not in me. Hmm. We mentioned at the beginning uh, Evil Dead, which uh, is opening in previews in October, opens in November. Yes. Idlewild, which opens on Monday as a, as a movie. Yes. We didn't mention Dreamgirls. Oh, oh, God. But yeah. before we go to Dreamgirls, yeah. I just want to say, um, if anyone is interested in supporting the Hinton Battle Theater Lab and coming to the world premiere, which all the stars will be there. They're all there. <laughs> Terrence Howard and Patti LaBelle, which I'm excited about, and, and more. Um, they can uh, purchase tickets at uh, www.hbtl.org. And this money goes directly to the foundation, which is a 501c3, and will help our kids, which we want to do a winter course, go and study for free. Mm. And they'll actually be there. The kids will be there. From the summer course, they'll be there. And then there's Dream Girls. And then there's Dream Girls. Boy, I just read, uh, what is the guy? It was, there's something on the internet. I can't remember that. that. They did a screening of it in uh, L.A. and San Diego. And this guy raved about the movie. And I raved about it. And I was there and just saw what Bill Condon, who directed it and r- wrote the screenplay for it, was doing. And uh, it's going to be brilliant. Really going to be good. It's going to be good. Beyonce Knowles and it's cast great. Jamie Foxx, Danny Glover, um, Jennifer Hudson, who's doing the Jennifer Holiday role. Um, um, who else? Is Anika Nani. Anika Nani, yeah, who's great for, for um, um, Carolina Change, who won the Tony for that. Um, God, I'm missing somebody. Uh, Did you say Eddie Murphy? 
Eddie Murphy. That's, <laughs> that's the one you're missing. <laughs> Some people Eddie might Murphy, know him too. Who has so. the, and 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 what he has done with the you know because the the show is based in reality, which is great. You know, it's based in this whole reality timeline of what's going on socially and economically, and so he's he's even added more of that to it. You know, which really just gives it a nice real feeling. And you know, you we're in Vegas and we're here. You know, it's. It's great. It looks great. The costumes are great. Henry Krieger and the music is fantastic. And uh, it was great to actually be reunited with Henry Krieger again because he, he was there. So, you know, well, and he did the music for Tap Dance Kids. So that was cool. Well, between now and the end of the year, I, for one, am looking forward to seeing all three of your projects. Idlewild, where hip-hop meets swing, <laughs> Green Girls, and especially Evil Dead. Sounds oh, very interesting. I'll be looking for you. You I'll get you some splash zone seats. <laughs> <laughs> and on that note, <laughs> how do you follow that except to say, Hinton, thanks so much for being with us today on Downstage thank Center. Thank you for having me. I really appreciate it. Thanks, Hinton. For the American Theater Wing, I'm Howard Sherman, reminding our listeners that these programs and all of the education and media work of the American Theater Wing is available online, on demand, for free from our website, www.americantheaterwing.org. And for XM Satellite Radio, I'm John Von Susten for Downstage Center. That's a wrap, and thank you.